Good morning. My name's uh, Alex. Uh, I'm reading today from God's Word, firstly from uh, Ezekiel 34 and then from John 14. Uh, Ezekiel 34, um, just before this passage, God has been uh, condemning the shepherds of Israel uh, for not doing their jobs. Then he says, for this is what the Sovereign Lord says, I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. As a shepherd looks after his scattered flock when he is with them, so I will look after my sheep. I will rescue them from all the places where they were scattered on a day of clouds and darkness. I will bring them out from the nations and gather them from the countries, and I will bring them into their own land. I will pasture them on the mountains of Israel, in the ravines and in all the settlements in the land. I will tend them in a good pasture and the mountain heights of Israel will be their grazing land. There they will lie down in good grazing land, and there they will feed in a rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I myself will tend my sheep and have them lie down, declares the Sovereign Lord. And the second passage is uh, John 14. Uh, this is... Um, at uh, the Last Supper, Jesus is talking to his disciples. This is after Judas has left them. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you may also be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going, so how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, Don't you know me, Philip, even after I have been among you such a long time? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say, I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father. And I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Well, good morning, everybody. And uh, before we start, I set a challenge last week for you to post that uh, you can do all things in the power of Christ. Is anyone brave enough to do that? If you were, come and speak to me afterwards. I'd love to know the responses. 
But this morning we turn our attention to a fourth um, sermon in the great I Am passages of our Lord. It is I am the way, the truth and the life. Before we do that, I want to tell you three stories as we look at the I am the way, the truth and the life. Story number one. When we were living up at the entrance, when I was a minister up at the entrance, uh, we, my son and I, Matthew, uh, wanted to go up to Marathon Stadium because the Eels were playing the Knights. The only problem was I didn't know how to get there. So I rang the uh, Newcastle Knights Club and over the phone I was given some directions. You go up the freeway, turn off at the Newcastle exit, keep going till Newcastle Road, follow it till Turon Road, where I should be able to see the stadium. Now with those few directions, we set off and we found the stadium and I watched my beloved eels get hammered by the nights at home. It was a long, quiet trip home. Story number two. Many years ago now, we had a group of friends up at our house at Wimmerley for the weekend. And during that weekend, we wanted to play a round of golf down at Windsor, about 30 minutes away. There are about eight of us that wanted to play golf, which meant we had to take two cars. And after giving the driver of the second car a few directions, he was still a little bit confused. I said, no worries, just follow me. And so we all hopped into the cars and off we went. I made sure I kept the uh, other car in my mirrors and we made our way down to the golf course at Windsor and had a wonderful day. Story number three. A couple of weeks ago, I mentioned that um, back in the day, the, uh, on the outskirts of the city, the NRMA used to have pilot stations where people from the country who were not familiar with the city roads were a bit nervous and members of the NRMA could arrange for one of their personnel to meet you. Not to give you directions, not just to hop in uh, Sorry, and not just to be in a car that you'd follow. No, they would get in the driver's seat. They'd take over the controls. You got out of the driver's seat and the one who was skilled and knowledgeable, he made his way to your destination. I want us to see that though, in those three stories, a kind of progression where in the first one, people were given a few directions to get them to their destination. And then they're on their own after they'd received the instruction. The second group had someone to follow. And if they were careful, they too would get to where they wanted to go. But the third group, they had someone who took over the controls and in their skill and their knowledge, and his, their strength, they'd get to their destination. And this somehow gives us an inkling of the way some people approach Christianity. 
There are those in the early stages who somehow get the idea that Christianity is following a certain moral code, being good, trying hard, learning a few rules. And so they get a few of the Ten Commandments, get a few good stories, and set out along life's highway, following those rules, seeking their destination by adhering to a few commandments. Yet they suddenly discover when they wanted to turn right, they somehow turned left. The good they wanted to do, they didn't do. And the evil that they didn't want to do, that's what they did. They found themselves utterly confused and lost. Then there are those who picked up the idea that somehow Christianity is following Jesus. A progression of the first idea of just doing good. But the difficulty there is knowing exactly what Jesus would do. Do you remember about 30 years ago there was that, what would Jesus do? And everyone had those little bracelets and all those types of things. But Jesus lived 2,000 years ago. And how can we translate what happened in Jerusalem 2,000 years ago into today's complex and sophisticated world in which we live? With all its pressures and tensions, all its complexities. Well, for a time, we follow. But we struggle. We struggle to try and keep Jesus in sight. because of the way we live, with all its complications. We somehow lose him, or we don't like the way he's going. We think we know better. We try a, a few shortcuts, or worse, we deliberately lose him. Then, of course, there are those in the third picture, and it's worth thinking about, whereupon we look at our lives and we put somebody, something, some force, some power, some authority in control. And the one who the Christian puts in control is the one who calls himself, I am the way. About a decade ago, I did a, uh, a Bible study tour of the Holy Lands. And as we came to the uh, gates of old Jerusalem, it was explained that in Jesus' time at the city gate, there would be certain people who would be just standing around looking for strangers. And they would simply come up to them and say, I am the way. In other words, I'm the one that can lead you to your destination. Now, the streets of Jerusalem are very crowded. They're very narrow. And a couple of times, our tour group got lost, even though we had a guide. And so these people, for a few coins, would guide the traveler, the stranger, through the streets to get them to where they wanted to go. And Jesus took up this call, and he addressed the whole world 
and said, I am the way. This means more than giving a few directions, more than just setting a good example. But when it comes, what it does mean is through faith, an act of faith, we open our lives to him. He takes control so that we're able to say like the Apostle Paul, it is not I that live, but Christ that lives in me. Now that's what Christianity is all about. The opening of our lives, our hearts, our minds, our souls to the control of the living Lord. One of my dad's old stories. An aircraft had just taken off. The passengers were settling into their seats. Then over the intercom came a message. Sit back, ladies and gentlemen, and relax. We'd like you to know that you're taking part in the first fully automated flight in the world. There is no pilot. There is just a computer, and we will take you to your destination. So relax and enjoy the flight, reassured that nothing can go wrong. Go wrong, go wrong, go wrong. Well, in life, lots can go wrong, but not when Christ is in total control, nothing will go wrong because he is the one of strength. He is the one who knows our true destiny. He is the one of power, who through us, through his spirit in our lives, will lead us on. Jesus said, I am the way. But the way to what? Well, he's the way to so much that is good and wonderful in the world. But in this context and in these verses in John's gospel, he's simply saying, I am the way to God. I am the way to the Father. By me, with me, through me, there is a beautiful communion with God the Father. When we put him in the controls of our life, yes, he deals with our past. Our sins are are truly forgiven. But we must remember that he's also in charge of the present and he's also in charge of the future. Don't be afraid. I love this passage. Look at the way it starts. It says, do not let your hearts be troubled. In other words, relax. Relax, for in me nothing can go wrong. Oh, over the last few years, hasn't there been a lot to worry about? Isn't there a lot to worry about right here, right now? World wars, recession, all sorts of things. But Jesus said, relax. I will lead you to the place I've prepared for you. And I will take you with me to be with me and the Father. But Jesus not only said, I am the way, he said, I am the truth. Now, that's an interesting concept, truth, isn't it? 
Remember, there were many subjects that we studied at college about what is truth. And no matter what your discipline of study, whether it be theology, philosophy, pure maths, hardline science, or whatever, if you pursue that study in your particular line, right to the end, you come to Christ. What do I mean by that? Well, physicists agree that there are three states in the universe. There are three things. Time, space, and matter. And everything else from subatomic particles to supermassive black holes is the interaction of those three things. Time, space, and matter. And here's a mind blower. What are the opening words of the Bible? In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, time. God created the heavens, space, and the earth, matter. The only thing the physicists have got wrong is the fourth thing is God. And everything else in the Bible is an interaction of those four things. God, time, space, and matter. I'll let you contemplate that. Because when we look, we are studying his world, God's world. We are studying God's creation. He's the one that established all the laws. He's the one established the things which we discover. And so if we're honest in our study, in the end we have to deal with God and with Christ. But in this particular application of John's gospel, just as Jesus said, I am the way to God, he said, I am the truth about God. We see the impassioned response from Jesus when Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and that will be enough for us. You can see the passion. He says, Philip, don't you know? Haven't you worked it out yet? You've been with me for, for three years. You've seen it all. If you want to know what God looks like, look at me. If you want to hear what God has to say, listen to me. And so it is that when we look at the Christ, we understand that God is not some dispassionate power far removed from the world. It was the old Bet Midler song, wasn't it? Where you believed that he was watching from a distance. That somehow God was a, a, a watchmaker who put it all together, wound the world or the universe up and just sat there and looked. And let the world tick along. No, we, we read through the Old Testament and the New of God's interaction between his creation and himself. And we see the amazing thing of the birth of Christ that shouts to us that God's involvement in the affairs of the world, the word became flesh 
and dwelt among us. Yes, we can no longer see Jesus physically. But we have his words. We have his teachings. And it's as we listen to God's word, as we mull over his teachings, as we take them in, we cannot help but see him and respond to him. If you're not sure where to start, read through the Sermon of the Mount. But there's more to God's t- uh, his teaching than just the Sermon of the Mount, but it's a good place to start. All the words of Jesus, all his teachings were given that we may be taken into the mind of God himself. Taken into his heart. We can see the passion that God has for us. And at the cross, as in no other place, we're taken into the heart of God. For we see the forgiving Father in Jesus' words where he says, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. We see the sacrificing heart of the Father in that God so loved the world that he gave his only Son. And somehow in the mystery, we dare to speak of Christ, the divine Son, as the sacrificial lamb of Christ the divine son as the ransom paid. Christ the divine son as the reconciler. The X-Files were right. The truth is out there. And it's at the foot of the cross. For the truth of the cross makes grace real. It makes God's love available to needy souls. It reconciles the sinful and brings us into the world, brings the world to God's feet. And we can see the truth of this transforming power of Christ in the story of Thomas. We read in verse 14. Thomas wants some directions. He, he, he knew Christ. We know as Christ went to the cross, his di- disciples left him. They wouldn't follow him. But we see in John 10, uh, 20, as Thomas was demanding proof, then Christ appeared. He showed him the proof. He showed him his hands and his side. And we can see Thomas getting out of the driver's seat when he says, my Lord and my God. Jesus says, I am the way to God the Father. I am the truth about God the Father. And we see he also says, I am the life. I am the life in God. The scholar from another era said this, just as birds live in the air and need air to live in, just as a fish lives in the water and can live nowhere else, so a Christian needs the presence of the master. And if that presence is withdrawn, then they must speedily die. But with Christ, there is life both now 
and into eternity. Life through Christ with God is at once vital and secure. It's challenging, but serene. It is dynamic and full of hope. Oh, I know. Life can get us down at times. External things come and go. Health comes and goes. But here we have a wonderful guarantee from God that it's not just pie in the sky when you die, but it's steak on the plate while you wait. And we've got that guarantee. And we can walk in that life. Jeremiah says, I alone know the plans I have for you, says God. I alone know the plans that I have for you, not to bring about destruction, but to bring a future full of hope, bringing about the promise that Christians live by. No matter what your age, there's no greater life There's no greater formula for dynamic living than the one we discover here in the beautiful words of Christ, who says, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. So you've been hovering around the edges of Christianity, or you've slipped into one of the the two first groups that I talked about earlier. Well, then there's no better time than now to open your heart and life to him. Open it. For Jesus in his resurrection power is waiting at the pilot station. He's waiting for you to open the car door that he might come into the driver's seat. He's waiting to lead you into an ever-deepening trust about himself, about his father, and about yourself. He has a plan that's simply the best. Why not accept it today? This could be the day that you open your hearts to him, that you come back into the fold, that you come back into a life full of grace, full of power, full of hope, that we may walk in the future with him by our side. Let's pray. I live in Christ. We thank you for your glorious revelation of the Father. We thank you that we can understand more about ourselves because of the way you lived and died and for that victory you won on Easter Day. We thank you that you will take over control of our lives and lead us on a beautiful path, a path of challenge, yes, a path of difficulty, but a path of excitement, a path that eventually leads us home to you. So come into our lives, eternal one. Oh Christ, come and possess us And let it be a transforming moment. Come, O Christ, come. Amen.